He's not meant taken away from a testimony of someone who was hardened in their sins and God softening their heart and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. That is tremendous. But I also, as a grandfather of five, I don't want to see my grandchildren have a testimony like that. I think the better testimony is that from the get-go, they've been raised to know Jesus Christ, came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then went on to walk in faith in Jesus Christ from that point forward. That also is a much greater testimony. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. You can find your place in God's Word in Romans chapter 6. Working our way through the epistle of Romans, looking at Romans 6 verses 1 through 14 today. I titled it, Reckoned Alive in Christ. I broke it into four sections. Verses 1 through 4, we'll see walk in newness of life. 5 through 7, freed from sin. 8 through 11, alive to God. And 12 through 14, instruments of righteousness. I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 4, our first point. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Father, I pray that you would be with us now, Lord, and just help us to glean from your scripture the truths that you would have for us today as a church and as individuals. We pray that we would be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit today, that you would teach your church, this church. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're looking at walk in newness of life. And he begins in verses 1 and 2 saying, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so he he begins with uh, three questions here. And he's really tying this back to chapter 5, verse 20, where 
He said, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And so he's thinking of the arguments as he's writing out this letter to the believers in Rome. He's been doing this quite often as we've been going through the epistle of Romans this year. We've discovered that Paul will ask questions for his readers. He's thinking of the questions that they may very well have because of what he has just said, what he has just written or taught, that they could bring forth questions. Maybe he had heard these questions been asked before after he had taught and while he writing this letter from the church in Corinth, maybe he had heard these questions asked before by others. And so he's just laying it out for us. And so the argument, since God's grace abounds greater than our sin, should we then continue in sin? It's a Greek word that is translated as continue. It means to remain in or to continue long in. Should we continue in sin that God's grace might abound that much more? In other words, the more we sin, the greater display of God's grace. And it is true. It's amazing how when you think about testimonies that we have heard from those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, it seems like for a majority of the church that the more devious or deadly a person or individual was before coming in Jesus Christ, the greater their testimony we kind of get sucked into those types of testimony. We would call them a, a great testimony, a good testimony. It is true. God's grace is amazing, and he can take the hardest of sinners and turn their hearts. Paul was a persecutor of the church that became one of the church's greatest apostles. So God can do this and change hearts. But I've had a different opinion of those great testimonies. I'm not taken away from a testimony of someone who was hardened in their sins and God softening their heart and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. That is tremendous. But I also, as a grandfather of five, I don't want to see my grandchildren have a testimony like that. I think the better testimony is that from the get-go, they've been raised to know Jesus Christ, came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then went on to walk in faith in Jesus Christ from that point forward. That also is a much greater testimony. You know, the longer we go apart from Christ in this life, the more baggage we carry with us. And so better to begin that walk earlier. So should we remain in long? The argument, he's saying, the more we sin, the greater display of God's grace. And that is absolutely true. But we are not to continue in sin that God's grace should be displayed in that way. Having died to sin, this is a positional truth that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. We have died to sin. According to Romans 6.11, those who have been baptized regard themselves as dead. They have died to the power of sin in such a way that on the basis of the death of Christ, they can be called to a path that leads from the world of the dead into life. That we are to not set our minds, as it says in Corinthians 3, 
verses 2 and 3, not set our minds on the things of this world, but on the things above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So having died in sin, that's the old life, that's the old man, that's the old woman. Because we've been baptized into his death, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Our faith has identified us with Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We have died. We have been baptized into Christ. In the New Testament, we find that it's almost synonymous with a believer coming to faith in Jesus Christ and, and being baptized very rapidly following. In fact, one commentator from the Believer's Bible Commentary, he stated, the New Testament never contemplates the abnormal situation of unbaptized believers. It assumes that those who are converted submit to baptism right away, and thus the Lord could speak of faith and baptism in the same breath. Though baptism is not a requirement for salvation, it should be an invariable public sign of it. And so we find that our baptism becomes this public display of the work that Christ has already done in our lives when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, as I've went through Scripture over the years, I've discovered that the Bible speaks about seven different types of baptisms. I didn't write down the seven for you, but I did give you the Scripture of the seven. And so... You'll be able to figure it out with the scripture, or you can take some quick notes here. But there are seven different types of baptism that the Bible speaks about. In 1 Peter 3.20, we find the baptism of Noah, where Peter wrote, When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. In the baptism of Noah. We have a similar baptism with the Israelis as they were coming out of Egypt, the baptism of Moses as described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. There was a going under the water, or passing through the water, the baptism of Moses. In Acts chapter 19.4, we have described for us the baptism of repentance. It's also found in the Gospels as well, because this was the baptism that John the Baptist uh, preached, and it's the initial baptism that Jesus Christ preached, the baptism of repentance. Acts 19.4 then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying that the people, that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. John baptized in the baptism of repentance. It was people preparing their hearts for the coming Messiah. And then believer's baptism, as 
We find in Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's the baptism that we are most familiar with. It is what we do when we head over to Cedar Lake to baptize in the summertime. It's the believer's baptism where because of their faith in Jesus Christ, then they follow, which is this great symbol of our life before Christ being buried. We have died, but then we resurrect back again to live in Christ or as believers in Jesus Christ. Number five, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 5, Jesus said, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Of course, we see that played out on uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when 120 believers went out of the upper room baptized with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number six, the baptism of fire. Now, I believe that the baptism of fire can be taken in two separate ways. I, in my notes, went with the baptism of judgment that comes with the fire that the unbelievers being judged at the end of all things, where in Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Of course, this is John the Baptist speaking. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His willowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn, and he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. So there's, I believe, two ways that this can be uh, taken. One is uh, baptism of fire of judgment against the unbeliever, but also uh, a baptism of fire, of purifying fire in the lives of believers that the Lord baptizes us and purifies our lives, our hearts, with fire, burning up the shaft, those things that are of no value that we have in this world that we might shine brightly for Jesus. And finally, we come to the seventh. It's here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, the baptism into Christ where again, Paul said, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also ought to walk in newness of life. This baptism into Christ. And so there is a, a spiritual work that takes place here, that we've been baptized, we've been associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. Believer's baptism, as I said, a great symbol of this. It represents our death, death to the old man, death to the old woman, and going under the water, being buried, our old life being buried there and then resurrected back to new life, to walk in newness of life is what he says here in verse 4. And it's a Greek word that means uh, a newness, a renewal, not just a new experience, but a different, it's different than the old life. It's new. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. It's newness. You are new in Christ Jesus. I have a difficulty with those who have been bound by addiction and sin. Today, medical science teaches that though they are no longer addicted, they will always be an addict. They'll always have that, they would say it's a disease, but it takes away from the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And there's victory in Jesus Christ. We walk in newness of life, not living off our past sins or what we used to be. God may very well use those as part of our testimony, but we are new creations in Christ Jesus. So we are not to continue in our past sin. We are to walk in the newness of life that we have received through faith in Jesus Christ. Because he has freed us from sin, verses 5 through 7. I'll read the context first. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. We have been, first of all, verse 5, we have been united. He says, and I just want to make a clarification there, for if we have been united, here in the United States, in our English language, when we say if, it's kind of like an iffy situation. Well, it could go one way or another. And the translation of this Greek word is correct as an if, but it would read better if it would say, for since we have been united together. It's not a if we have been united together. And as believers in Jesus Christ, it's since we have been united together. As believers, we have been united together in the likeness of his death. And since we have been united together in the likeness of his death, so too have we been united together in the likeness of his resurrection. So our connection to Jesus is not only with his death, but also with his life. And thus we have been united. It's a Greek word that refers to grow alongside with. We have been united with his death, but we're also united with his resurrection. United with the death of Jesus Christ speaks about our life before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But we are dead to that. Since Christ died and rose again from the grave, we too, through faith in Jesus Christ, our old man, our old woman, it's dead. We have been resurrected, united, speaks about our lives since we have been saved. Paul describes it in Galatians 2, 19 through 20 in this way, for I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.11, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And so we have this sense of both present and future. It goes to that positional sanctification. Since we have died with Christ, we have also resurrected with him. We live with him. That's the position that we have in Jesus Christ. But it's also practical sanctification. That as believers right now, we live with Christ. It's Christ working out his life through us in this world. But the ultimate sanctification, 2 Timothy 2.11, we shall also live with them. That we are looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Having been united with Jesus' death means that we have also been united with his life. Therefore, we should live in such a way that reflects that, reflects the work of the resurrected Christ in our lives. It's death to the old man, death to the old woman, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. As I was going through this passage, studying this this week, Romans chapter 6, in fact, I have to tell you at the beginning of the year that there are a number of great verses, as we know, in the epistle of Romans. But there was one section of Romans that I wanted to teach more than any of the others. Maybe by the time I get to the end of it, I'll have another favorite section. But here in Romans chapter 6, it is a favorite section to me because this is just the Lord using in my life the study of his word, bringing revelation that I'd not yet had at one time going through Romans chapter 6, looking into the actual Greek words, this being crucified with Christ. It is a Greek word that means to be impaled in company with. It's the same word that we find used in the Gospels, when one of those is found in Matthew 27, 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. We know at first that both of the thieves ridiculed and reviled Christ, but they were crucified with him, not on the same cross, but crosses next to him. And this is the same Greek word we find being used here that we have, our old man, had been crucified with Christ. And many years ago, I got this image of my sins being put upon Jesus Christ at that time, that I have been crucified with Christ. For me, it was a very special revelation that I had never noticed before, but it was something that the Lord has taught me to be crucified with Christ. And it speaks about the old person dying with Christ there on the cross. It's symbolic of the crucifixion of Christ. It reminds us that we are no longer in bondage of our sins because of the means of our death. We have been set free. Again, Galatians 2.20. I know I've read this already, but 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, thank you for your word and for your grace that you have given us. And I know, Lord, in a chapter like this that we can read through and learn about how we present ourselves, how we're to reckon ourselves dead to sin. And I know, Lord, that sometimes we struggle in these very areas that we are to be reckoning ourselves dead in. Help us, Lord, I pray, to reckon ourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus this day. Help us, Lord, to not only realize it's a position that we have in you, Jesus, but also it's to be lived out practically in our lives. And I know, Lord, that we have failed in these areas. And so, Lord, where we have failed, we pray for your forgiveness. And help us, Lord, to find the victory that's already ours. Because, Lord, we have died with you. And because we have died, we have been buried. And now we live to walk in righteousness, alive unto God, to walk in newness of life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. We'll be right back. 